Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. The following is a recording of a speech given by Dr. Jackson to the congregation at Abingdon Church in October of 2021. How do you define life and death? You see, physicians are called upon to pronounce folks dead on occasion. And that's one of the responsibilities that physicians have, is to determine if someone has passed from this life to the next. And we check their pulse. We check their respirations. We listen for a heartbeat. We look for spontaneous movement. And the absence of those things are used to determine death. If someone has passed from this life to the next. Now, if you know your history, you know that years ago when someone died, the family would hold a wake. And they wouldn't immediately put that patient's body into the ground or into a, a mausoleum. They would actually lay the, ba- the body in the front room of the home, and they would watch the body for days. Now, why was that? It's because defining death was an imprecise science. There were no stethoscopes. And in fact, family members or physicians would come and watch the body. They would often hold a mirror under the patient's nose to see if they would fog the mirror. Hence the term, he doesn't have enough breath in him to fog a mirror. And sometimes, not often, but on occasion, during the wake, someone who had fallen into a stupor or a coma would wake up during the wake. Hence the term awake. If you remember your history, the wife of light horse Henry Lee, the famous cavalryman, who served General Washington so well during the Revolutionary War. Her name was Ann Lee. She had a medical condition called narcolepsy, whereby she would often fall asleep during the daytime. And if she was ill, she would fall into a trance-like state and be asleep sometimes for hours or days at a time. She bore four children to light horse Henry Lee. When she was in her 50s, I'm sorry, in her 40s, she became quite ill. She fell into a trance. The physicians were called and they declared her to be deceased. She was placed into the family mausoleum. Three days later, the groundskeeper was dispatched to place flowers on the grave. And he distinctly heard a voice crying out from inside the coffin. He opened the coffin and Ann Lee sat up and wide-eyed began to speak to him. There was a term called hapophobia. The term meant the fear of being buried alive. Well, you see, that medical responsibility of determining life and death at that time was a very imprecise science. So how do we determine death? All of these things pertain to physical life, but more importantly, how do we determine death? spiritual life. 
This is an essential question because after all, the Apostle Paul said to us, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Which means that we are trying to determine if in fact we possess spiritual life, which is a way more important than our physical lives. In reality, we can be easily deceived just like Roy's doctors and Mrs. Lee's family. We can all be easily deceived. Some years ago, I was hunting down in Pakalet, South Carolina. I was sitting on the ground under the boughs of a cedar tree when four doe came out on a hillside above me. They milled around in a little circle. I watched until just before dark, hoping that a, a big buck would come out, but not so. So finally, just before dark, I picked out the largest doe, took my shot, dropped her to the ground, graveyard dead. I waited a little bit. All the other doe ran into the woods, and I hoped Mr. Big would come out of the trees and investigate, but not that day. So I got up and I walked off the distance. It was 90 yards exactly. I got to my doe and inspected her, and to my surprise, there was no entrance wound or exit wound and no blood. But I looked at her, and her eyes were open, her tongue was hanging out, and she appeared to me to be deader than dead. So I flipped her over and looked her on the other side, and I flipped her back. I tapped her on the eye. She didn't even flicker. She looked to be really dead. And I continued to examine her. No entrance wound, no exit wound. So I stood back and I looked at her and I said, how can this be? I always carry a three-inch lock blade and I felt in my pocket I had left it in the truck. I thought, well, I could just administer the coup de grace and put this deer out of its misery. But my blade, my trusty blade, was in my truck a half a mile away. What was I going to do? I was just not certain that that deer had left this world. Well, I began to look her over a little more closely, and I saw a long red streak on her breastbone, about 12 inches long. And I surmised that I had just grazed that deer, and I'd either knocked the breath out of her, or knocked the life out of her. But I didn't know which. So I stood back and I observed her for about 15 minutes, intermittently just tapping her on that open eye. She never flickered. And I said, well, I think this deer's dead. So I took off and walked back to my truck, put up my gear, drove back, and when I got back, that doe was gone. Gone like yesterday. Gone like the Civil War. Gone, gone. So I took out my flashlight and I looked all over the pasture and all through the woods, but there was no blood trail. How was I going to find her? She was gone. So like all good hunters, I just sat down in the pasture and cried like a baby. And then loaded up and went home. How do you define life? How do you define death? You see, we can be deceived. I was deceived regarding my dough. Henry Lee's family was deceived about his wife. Oh, by the way, Ann Lee bore a son after she was resurrected that day, named General Robert E. Lee, who went on to be famous. And Paul said for you and me to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, lest you and I be deceived about our spiritual life. So that begs the question, 
How do you and I determine whether we possess spiritual life? Well, people who are spiritually alive, I submit to you very respectfully, have a spiritual appetite. Things that are alive, they like to eat. And I submit to you that people that are spiritually alive, they have a spiritual appetite. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 2, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The prophet Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them. And they became for me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Now, I remember distinctly when I became a Christian as an 11 year old boy. Before that, I had no interest in reading God's word, but something magical Something supernatural happened in my life when I became a believer. I was in the sixth grade, and suddenly I wanted to read the Bible. In fact, I read my Bible every night before I went to bed, and I've done so ever since then. Every day I've read my Bible. And in fact, when I was in college, I made a commitment to read my Bible through once a year. And you know what? I've done that every year since I was 19 years old. Why? Because I have a spiritual appetite. God has given me spiritual life. And because of that spiritual life, I have an appetite for God's word. People who are spiritually alive want to read the Bible. They want to study the Bible. They want to memorize God's word and they can't get enough of it. Do you, do you get enough of eating? Do you hear like this? Uh-uh. People who lie never, that's one of the things I ask my patients when they come in. I say, how's your appetite? And if they tell me they got a good appetite, I know right off they're healthy. They're doing fine. But if they look at me and say, doc, I don't care to eat, something's wrong. You know, I need to figure out what's wrong with my patient. If they tell me they don't have a good appetite, they're sick. And if, if folks that tell me that they're a believer admit to me that they don't want to read God's word, mm-mm. Something wrong. Something's wrong with them spiritually, or maybe they don't have spiritual life. Maybe they've never been born again into the kingdom of God, and maybe they're deceived. Just like Henry Lee's family was deceived about Ann Lee, just like I was deceived about my doe, just like Roy's doctors were deceived about him. You see, we can all be deceived, and if there's no appetite for God's word, then there's a possibility that person could be deceived about whether or not they possess the life of God. Did you know that Barna says that 80% of Protestants never read their Bible? Can you believe that? Well, if you think about it, maybe that explains why so many Christian folks are spiritually powerless, spiritually impotent, because they're not imbibing the Word of God. They're not taking in the Word of God, which gives to you and me Spiritual strength. Listen, if my patients don't eat, they become weak. Isn't that right? My patients aren't, if they're not taking in nourishment, physical nourishment, they become weak. And if Christians don't take in the nourishment of God's word, they become spiritually powerless. The second thing I would say to you is that Christians who have spiritual life, they also have spiritual breath. Just like a physical body has breath in it, and the absence of physical breath indicates spiritual death, Christian folks have spiritual breath. And by that, I mean they talk to God. They have a vital and meaningful prayer life. 
in First Thessalonians, the Bible tells you and me to pray without ceasing, right? And in Colossians 4, 2, it says that we should be devoted to prayer. Devotion means it's something that I love. And that's another thing I noticed when I became a believer at age 11. Prior to that, I never talked to Jesus. I never talked to God. But all of a sudden, before I went to bed at night, I had to stop and pray. And I began to, I began to learn how to pray. And I remember when I went to college, I sat down one day and I wrote some things that I wanted to be true about me when I died. Now, pay attention. What happens when people die? Everybody gathers at their house after the funeral and they sit around and they eat ham biscuits and tater salad and they talk about the person who just died. Isn't that right? Well, see, I, I went to a funeral when I was in college and I paid attention and I noticed what they did. They all sat around and they talked about this guy who's a member of my church and they were eating ham biscuits and tater salad and they would talk about it. And they talked about his bird dog and they talked about his vegetable garden. But you know what they didn't talk about? They didn't say anything about his spiritual life. And I said, you know, this guy's gone to church, my home church, all his life. And nobody said a single thing about his spiritual life. And I thought that was a disconnect there. And I, and I went home that night and I sat down and I said, Lord, when I'm dead and gone, everybody's sitting around at my house eating ham biscuits and tater salad. I don't want them to say anything about the stuff in my life. I want them to say something about me and my spiritual journey. And I sat down and I began to write. And I, want, and I wrote down, I said, Lord, I want them to say that Robert, I tell you, that old Robert, he really knew the word. And he really knew how to teach God's word. And the second thing I wrote down is that Robert, he really knowed, knows how to pray. And he really knows how to worship God. Now, I was in college at the time, and guess what I didn't know? <laughs> I didn't know God's word, hardly at all. And I didn't even know how to pray. And I certainly didn't know how to worship God back then. But I knew that was something I needed to move toward. Because when I die, I'm serious. I want people to say that I knew the word and I knew how to teach it. And I knew how to pray and I knew how to worship. And I'm getting there. Okay. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that people that have spiritual life in them, they have a vital and meaningful prayer life. What about Paul? You know, Paul wrote down these elaborate prayers in the epistles, and he would pray for folks. I mean, really serious, long prayers. Jesus, did you know in the book of Luke that 11 times he records where Jesus went off into the wilderness to pray? He went to the garden to pray. In fact, it says, as was his custom, he departed to a lonely pray place and there prayed. You see, the prayer life of Jesus was a vital and meaningful part of his life. So when you die... And they all gather at your house to talk about you and eat ham biscuits and tater salad. What are they going to say about you? I mean, I don't mind if they talk about my blackberry vines and my scuppernon vines and my fig trees. I mean, that's fine. I got all those things and I'm kind of proud of them. But I really, really don't want them to talk about that. I want them to talk about my spiritual life. Because, see, that validates that, oh, Dr. Jackson, he really did have spiritual life. And he wasn't spiritually dead. He was spiritually alive. And let me tell you a story. I'm full of stories today. When I was growing up, there was a guy that taught me Sunday school, and he was a deacon in my home church. And every time, well, we only had six deacons. It was a small church. And the deacons always took up the offering. And every time they called on him, he prayed the exact same prayer over the offering. Never deviated. 
And if the preacher called on him at the end of the service, he always prayed the exact same prayer. It's like he had this memorized prayer. And it was a little bit humorous, and everybody kind of laughed about it. Well, one Sunday night at the end of the service, he fell asleep on the front row, second row right over there. And at the end of the service, preacher called on him. And he was dead asleep in his long pause. And finally, his wife nudged him. And he realized the preacher had called on him to pray. So he stood up, and he was a little discombobulated. So he prayed his offering prayer. <laughs> at the end of the service, it wasn't, it wasn't the appropriate time. Well, about halfway through it, everybody realized what was going on. The whole church starts laughing. Well, he was mortified and his wife was embarrassed. But I realized that here was a guy in my church who was a deacon and my Sunday school teacher. And he, he really didn't know how to talk to God. Now, let me ask you a question. Did he really have the life of God in him? I, I don't know. I, I'm not the judge. Jesus is the judge. All I can do is be a fruit inspector. And I'm, I hate to say it, but the fruit really wasn't that good. And I don't know if he possessed the life of God. All I know is he didn't really know how to talk to God. Now, I'll give you a comparison. I went on a mission trip to Romania. And when we got there, there were 10 women who were our interpreters who were from Russia. The second day we were there, all 10 of them cornered me one day. And they had this question. They said, where did you people learn all these prayers? And I said, what? Where did you learn all these prayers? Where we come from and the church we go to, they, they have prayers in a prayer book. And we read the prayers in the prayer book. And I said, oh, I get it. I get it. I said, look, these folks have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God is their father. Jesus is their personal savior. And they're talking to God from their heart. These are not memorized prayers. These are, they're just personally talking to God. And none of them comprehended. Not a one of them understood anything. And I continued to try to explain, but they did not comprehend a personal relationship with God where we could actually talk to God as our Father. You see what I'm getting at? And see, brothers and sisters, people who have the life of God in them have a meaningful, vital, personal relationship with our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're able to talk to Him personally. Does that make sense to you? Christians have a spiritual life and we have spiritual breath. Now, let's go to the third thing. People who, have, who possess spiritual life also have spiritual movement. That means spiritual activity. They, they do things. They have, they have spiritual activity in the life of the body and, and even outside the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to read a couple of verses to you in the book of James that you're familiar with, but I think that we all need to hear them again. In James chapter 2, James said this, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, no spiritual activity? Can that faith save him. Now, that's a troublesome verse, isn't it? Say it again. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he had faith, but he has no works, no spiritual activity? You see, a body that has no life in it is considered dead. No spirit in it is considered dead. So what, what, does, a, what does it mean if a person says that they're a Christian, but they have no works, no spiritual activity? In fact, James 
asked that same question over in verse 26. He says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Without spiritual activity is dead. Now, also in verse uh, 17, James said, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Faith, faith without spiritual movement, spiritual activity is dead. Now, let me tell you another story. And, and this, this can be confusing. When I was a resident 40 years ago, I was called to pronounce dead an elderly woman. Now, that term elderly is relevant. You understand that now that my children tell me that I'm elderly. So that's a relevant term. But this particular woman was probably in her 90s. She had died in the hospital. She was a DNR, a do not resuscitate. So there was no CPR or anything like that. So I arrive, and I'm sitting in the room with a with two nurses, and they're cleaning up in the room, tidying things up. And I'm sitting in a chair writing on a paper chart. This was before electronic medical records. When all of a sudden, this deceased woman sits up in the bed, raises one arm, opens one eye, opens her mouth, and a long moan comes out of her mouth well both of the nurses screamed i stood up dropped the chart on the floor and said oh my gosh it spooked me it was kind of like a scary movie and then she slowly fell back in the bed but her arm stayed up her eye stayed open and her mouth stayed open well both nurses they left they just got out of the room well i sat down to pick up my chart but i couldn't stand it i had to go over to the lady and i i pushed her arm down and i closed her eye and i closed her mouth but then her eye popped back open and her mouth fell open again. Just It just wasn't going to stay. Well, you see, the, we call that post-mortem spasm, muscular spasm. And you see, this woman was really deceased, but she still had movement. She still had muscle activity just briefly. Now, was she alive? No, she was really deceased. She was really dead. You see, it can be deceiving. And I say that to you because there are people in every church who claim to be spiritually alive, but they're really dead. Now, they have activity, just like this woman had movement, and they say things like, well, you know, I go to Sunday school, and I sing in the choir, and I give my money, but they still do not possess the life of God. And that's why Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. It can be confusing. And we can all be easily deceived. Christians are known for sacrificial deeds of kindness. We are known for ministering to the poor. We are known for ministering to the folks who are sick. To prisoners. To the outcast. And we are known for evangelism. Sharing the gospel. Acts 1.8 says, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Christians are known for starting charity hospitals and orphanages, ministering to foster children, starting crisis pregnancy centers, working with ex-convicts, ministering to the mentally challenged. Matthew 5.16, the Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works 
and so glorify my Father. Now, here's the thing, guys and gals. It's important for you and I to have a ministry in the church because the church has to function, doesn't it? Teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir, doing all the things that the church folks do in the church. But listen, the salt has to get out of the salt shaker. If we're going to purify the culture and preserve the culture, which is corrupt and decaying, the salt has to get outside the salt shaker. And Christian folks like you and me have to minister to the lost world. We have to minister to people that are out yonder and let the salt get out of the salt shaker. I've told the folks at my church for years that every member is a minister, not just the pastor, but every one of us should find our own niche outside the church. And every member should have a ministry outside the church. And you see, that's what validates your spiritual life. It validates that you've had that life-changing experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we call that being born again. But it's a life-changing experience where the Spirit of God infuses into you and me the life of God. And it lets everybody on the outside know that something supernatural has happened in your life and mine, and we're no longer spiritually dead, but we're spiritually alive because we're doing what Christian people do. We minister to the folks on the outside and we're sharing the life of God with them. We're just doing what Christian people have always done. I had a friend years ago that I would pray with a couple times a week, and he would always pray, Lord, don't let me be deceived. At the time, I thought it was an unusual prayer. But as I've gone through my life, I realized that I've been deceived myself a few times sometimes by other people, sometimes by the enemy of my soul, and sometimes by my own lower nature desires. Has that ever happened to you? Do your head like this. Yeah. If you live long enough, you will be deceived. You know what I mean, Jelly Bean? Well, I pray that, to the Lord often that I would not be deceived. And brothers and sisters, it's one thing to be deceived about physical death, like Henry Lee's family regarding his wife or like Roy's doctors a long time ago or like me and my my little doe out in the woods in Pakulet but way more important than that is folks who think they're believers and they're really not they're deceived that's why Paul said examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith and so I challenge you don't be deceived pray to the Lord that he would open your eyes and let you be certain let you be confident that you are actually in the faith. Look into your own heart and into your own life and see whether you have an appetite, a genuine appetite for God's Word. Do you really have that, that breath, that sincere desire to talk to Jesus and worship God in prayer? And do you have spiritual activity? Do you, are you a minister? Not just here in this building and in this fellowship, but you have a ministry outside the walls of this church building to the lost community that validates that in fact you do possess the life of God. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information on how to contact the Jackson family, to schedule a speaking engagement, or how to obtain Dr. Jackson's books, go to jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions.